Hello there, my name is Corey Durbin, CEO of Shared Health Alliance, and I'd like to welcome you to Running Eyes, a podcast where we take a meaningful, deep dive into the relationships, strategies, and global mission of ASH to change healthcare and change lives. Well, I am joined this Friday afternoon by my good friends, Chris and Elaine Whitney. Chris and Elaine are the founders of One Gen Away in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, we have known each other, too, we're probably too long to admit now, we care to admit, and uh, it's it, they're, they're just such a, such great friends of, of our family. Chris is a, a board member at Alliance for Shared Health. Uh, he and Elaine have had such a, a great impact in, in my life personally and in the lives of our family, and it's so nice of you guys to be with us. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. How are you both? Doing great. Man, we're doing well. It's an honor to be here with you. And uh, uh, man, we could fill up quite a few of these, I'm sure, with some stories over the years. <laughs> That's huh? so true. <laughs> well, we want people to, to still kind of like me at the end of this. So maybe we could, uh, uh, no, you know, refrain from a few of them. <laughs> no, but uh, well, so Nash, you guys are in, well, you're in Franklin, but Nashville just kind of got pounded like a lot of the country. You guys survived all the uh, storms and, and the craziness of this past week. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're looking forward to this white stuff to go away. It's uh, it's not it's not conducive to functioning down here. You know, we don't have the plows and things that other people have. So it's uh, pretty much all the stores have shut down. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's it's hard to get much done down here right now. So we're looking forward to some warm weather coming in tomorrow. It'll be sixty by Tuesday. So we're looking forward to Tuesday. Well, I, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I but it's sure. Hoping you have all the supplies you need, and the um, I've talked to some 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 other friends there that said they didn't have coffee in their house for three days, and they were growing a little bit hard to be around. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, fortunately, we got uh, we could get out. Uh, my truck was able to get out pretty pretty well, and and uh, running a food ministry, man, we've got access to a lot of foods. So we've been to the warehouse a few times, and and uh, we we conducted a little business this week, but it was definitely not normal. That's for sure. Well, and I haven't got to catch up. With with you on, you know, Elaine had flown home. She was out visiting my wife with a couple other friends and they got to spend uh, a couple days, I think, on the Oregon coast. But your trip home was probably pretty eventful, huh, Elaine? And you, you just beat the storm in, I guess. It was. Or the second yeah, had, wave of it, maybe. Yeah, yeah we had three canceled flights, and um, but I spent the night in Denver, but got home Wednesday morning and my husband was very happy about that. So, yes, <laughs> but we had a great well, time. I, Good. Well, it's. It, I appreciate it. I know it's. It's late in the day on a Friday for you. Also, uh, where to start? I mean, you and I have known each other, Chris, probably twenty five years now, Man, something I, like I was, that. 20, yeah, I was talking about you this think. morning, and, and I was trying to figure that out too. I think it's been close to twenty five years. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, we were both a lot younger. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that yeah. goes without saying for sure. I know. Knew, knew you from our days in St. Louis, had met you through St. Louis Family Church, and you were in the insurance business at the time, and yeah. uh, had started, um, I had left uh, a job that I had working for an insurance company and started on my own, and, and you were nice enough to help me get my start and, and share work in some of your space, office space there, and it was such a huge encouragement encouragement to us as we ventured out into the unknown of being entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I don't know if you have anything to say about that time, but uh, just 
Wow. It was, it was um, remarkable for us that that door opened and, and you were there for us at that time. Well, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's the same thing you would do for me, man. This is what friendships are for and what they're about. And uh, I always love your heart for entrepreneurship. I loved your heart for people, your your heart for giving. And uh, to me, it's a no brainer. You know, it's, it's just that old thing. If you've got something that you can give to somebody, go ahead and give it to them, you know, let them use it. And uh and, you know, we've known each other for a long time and I've seen you do that for so many people. And it's such a great example for us. And and we're we're thankful to play a small part early on and into all the lives you've impacted over the years. And, uh, you know, now we get it's fun now, I guess, isn't it? We get to look back over the years. And, uh, um, you know, I talk a lot about I've been talking a lot about lately. Um, you know, we've, you know, in church, you've heard people talk about the, uh, you know, when you see a tapestry and how beautiful a tapestry is. But when you look at the backside of a tapestry, it's kind of a hot mess, you know, just a bunch of strings hanging everywhere. <laughs> but we're getting old enough now where we get to kind of see both sides of the tapestry, don't we? We get to see a little bit of the finished product mm-hmm. and we get to see the hot mess. And and uh, right. And I know it I know it motivates you as it does me to create more hot mess because of what's on the other side, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I know I've said this before with some other guests and said, you know, if you knew everything it was going to take to get to where you were trying to go. Most of us wouldn't take that first couple steps. And and you also realize once you get there, just how rewarding um, it is to actually navigate through all of life's challenges. And it's so much better when you have uh, relationships and friendships like we have. Um, and I know, you, you know, you, st- you all were, I, I want to use the proper term, but you were the youth leaders or youth pastors at a church in St. Louis for a long time. And your, your journey had a lot of ebbs and flows to get to where you got. But how long were you youth leaders at that church? Gosh. 13 years. Yeah, 13 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you really um, helped lead a lot of kids in in directions in their faith that they probably would have never even mm-hmm. considered going. And I mean, some of the trips, youth uh, mission trips you guys have been on, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, I don't know if anything sticks out that you'd love that you would be willing to share at the moment. But there are so many stories you've shared with me through the years and not one thing is sticking out in particular, but I don't know what jumps off the page or jumps into your mind as I ask that. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember one of the, one of the kids was probably maybe 18, 17, 18 at the time. And the first ocean he ever saw were standing on the Irish sea and, (laughs) you know, looking at the Irish sea over in Ireland, you know, and, and, uh, uh, in, on the coast of England, getting ready to go over to Ireland, you know, and I thought, how crazy is that, that this kid finally saw the ocean and it's over here, you know? And, mm. uh, and I mean, there's so many other great stories about the impact that these young people had on, on the areas we went to. And, and on our uh, lives. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think one of the, the greatest things that I came back with, Corey, was that, you know, you, when you see people until they talk, you wouldn't know where they were from, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. I mean, they would look, you wouldn't know if they were from America, Germany, France, you just can't tell, you know, until they'd speak and you'd hear their language. And and uh, that was always something that, that's very sobering to me that, you know, you you want to learn not to judge something too quickly when you, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, because you just don't know. That's true. Anything for you, Elaine? Is there a trip or or a moment from your youth mission trips that sticks out for you? No, I was just so grateful to see so many countries and so um, really blessed to be able to do that and to travel. I mean, we went all over to France and the Isle of Man and London. And I mean, it was just incredible. So just to see that part of the country and be able to share that with 50 teenagers every trip, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, those times I'll just never forget. Right, right. Well, 
So how old were you two when you started uh, youth pastoring? Oh, oh gosh. God, man! Now you're really <laughs> thanks, boy, Corey. Yeah, really, man. Now we're gonna. Well, I'm not asking to tell you what year you started. So, I, you know, <laughs> let me see. I mean, you were young. You guys were young. Yeah, yeah we were. So we were, may, yeah. maybe gosh, the better question is probably twenty. It's yeah, 20, how old were your kids? Thirty years ago. Our, well, our oldest is thirty-two right now, and I think she was probably what, like five. Yeah. Well, no, when I went to St. Charles. Oh, she was She's a newborn. She was a newborn when we were in. Yeah, yeah so when we started probably, in the youth ministry. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, been, wow, it's been like 31 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So eventually, um, yeah, and I, I forget the story of you know when you guys who led you guys to to the Lord, but I also just know as a board member of Ash of the Health Share program that you all know how important health care is. You've been through some some major challenges in your life. And mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to tie the story of uh, think about when you started and when your daughter Sarah was born and all the things that surrounded it with that. And mm-hmm. if that was really pre uh, youth pastoring and maybe that, you know, yeah. maybe we can get into that story a little bit. Yeah, actually it was, um, we it had was literally good. just started. No, we started youth pastoring at a little church in St. Charles. Mm-hmm. We were um, at, back in the day at Grace World Outreach where we got saved and gave our hearts to, to Christ um, through a, a guy I met when I was in the construction business. And uh, Elaine and I left that church to start a youth group at a, at a little church in St. Charles. and. Um, and uh it was it was quite a moment there there was a there was a, a you know we were on a we were on this three-year plan to be licensed and ordained and and uh lo and behold something just happened strange in the church where we had to leave and we were actually pregnant with sarah at that time and uh so here we are we walked away from a vision and dream we had one year in uh, because we just knew we had to it was just became a weird just an uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. um and we started going to the church we were at that we that we youth pastored for so long. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, and that's where the journey began, you know, when. Um, well, we had just found out at that time that I was pregnant and just found out that um, that uh, the baby, I didn't know, we didn't know boy or girl at that point, yeah, mm-hmm. but um, that um, the baby was diagnosed with spina bifida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then we had just had to leave that church and went to another church and it was just you know, your whole world is turned upside down when that happens. Yeah. We, uh, I never forget going to the, uh, they had a thing back then. Um, I mean, it's still around called the alpha theta protein test, but it was very new at that time. And, um, you know, the, the, our doctor said, you know, Hey, you're, you know, you're, you tested positive and, um, and Which if it was elevated, yeah, elevated it spina bifida. A spina bifida. If it was um, lower, it could have been a possibility of Down syndrome. Yeah, but ours was elevated. Elevated, and so uh, you know, he wanted he we we did this test, and um, he said it was elevated. But he goes, "There's a lot of false positives." So we really we just didn't think anything of it, to be honest with you. You know, we just kind of lived life and didn't think anything right. of it, and we went. And, we thought they were just false positive. Yeah. We went to a genetic specialist and um, they checked all of our history and we went through this whole you know line of all of our history between both of our families and none of us had it in our history or anything of our family. So they were like, oh, it's probably just false positive, you know, but just go ahead and get this ultrasound. So we did. And I don't know if you want to 
Yeah, there was a, yeah, it was, yeah, go and tell that story. <laughs> we were, um, you know, we went down to get the ultrasound and it was through a doctor who had written a lot of ultrasound books. And, um, so they started, you know, the, the nurse practitioner lady started doing the ultrasound. All of a sudden there were more students that came in and doctors that came in and Chris and I are looking at each other like something is going on. And so then the doctor hmm, comes in right. and, and then all of a sudden he puts the paddle down and he goes, well, We've got a problem. He said, your child mm. has spina bifida. It's one of the largest I've ever seen. It's a five vertebra opening. And he showed us on the um, ultrasound of where her vertebra is. So when spina bifida, I don't know if, if you know what that is, but what happens is all your spines, your cells come together to form the spine. And for some reason that stopped. And then there's a sac that's on the back that has all of the vertebras that were supposed to be in line, which were, they were like five vertebras. And he showed them to us and he said, um, your child has spina bifida. He said, um, the child will always be in a wheelchair, never have control of its bowels. Um, mm. And we're just like floored because we're thinking it was a false positive. So we're just like right. crying. And I, I, it was just horrific. And um, so anyway, they wanted me to go get a um, amniocentesis done because they didn't even think that they thought the defect was so large that the baby wouldn't even be compatible outside of the womb, life compatible. They thought that she might not even make it. And um, so anyway, you can take from there, Chris. Yeah, we just so stood and believed God. Our, our OB in wow. St. Louis, Kent Branson, you know, I called him and he uh, he said, we really need to, you know, figure out if this baby's life compatible. So you need to, you know, talk Elaine into, you know, getting the amnio synthesis done and we were just in shock and yeah we were just floored i mean we just literally talk about died. a tough day oh yeah, man it yeah horrible. it was really you know and lauren we've got lauren at at a you know she wasn't quite two years wasn't old quite two years old yet you know and so we got to go pick her up and then go home and call our parents and that was horrific yeah that was whew, man. remember the screams over the phone over yeah that. And, uh, and so that was, you know, there was like literally, you know, as a parent too, Corey, you know, when in, I mean, we were there when Talia Shea was born mm -hmm. and, you know, and I mean, it's, uh, as you've seen some pretty crazy, amazing things, you know, too. And, uh, um, you know, there was nothing we could do. There's just nothing. And there's nothing, there's no worse feeling as a parent <laughs> with your child than there's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? There's just nothing right. like that. And, uh, thank God we learned faith early on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we, um, we literally, I mean, you, you know me that I barely speak real, real English. So you understand why I say it this way, but <laughs> not um, true, but yeah, <laughs> I, you know, we were just, I just looked at Elaine and I said, you know, we, uh, there, we, you know, there are no options. You know what I mean? You're you, so we, and not because there were no options. We always want to really lean on our faith in God and trusting him. Uh, but I just said, you know, we can either fight for what we know to be true. You said, no, you said the exact words were, okay. He said, we could belly up and die. Or are we going to fight for what we know is true? And I'm like, <laughs> we're going to fight. <laughs> and boy, did, did we, honey. Yeah. So that's, so we just, you know, we decided no more tests until like close to delivery. And because why keep going back and just hearing the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's the point? Well, you know, and so, the yeah. crazy thing was, right. is, you know, I had had one child, so I'm feeling the baby kicking and they're like, oh no, it can't be kicking. They're, the baby's just floating. And, you know, because, mm. you know, it was supposed to be paralyzed from the waist down, you know? And um, so anyway, that was kind of a... Uh, difficult yeah, so going it, through that. You knew what a kick felt like, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And at that point I was a uh, four months pregnant. So I still had, mm -hmm. you know, a five good five more months left, left yeah. to go. It was, um, yeah, you know what I mean? It, so it was, it was definitely, it was 
um, trying on our relationship and everything, you know, I mean, we just learned how to encourage each other, love on each other and, and walk through this thing together. We, you know, there was no manual like, Hey, this is what you do. When this you happens. know what? I think in times like that though, things can either bring you closer together or it can really like take you far apart. I've heard, I've known a lot of people who've gotten divorced in situations like that. And, and thank God that we just, you know, looked at each other and loved each other through it. And, um, you know, cause we were going through the same thing, but yet, it was two different things. Like I had the baby with me, so I could never leave that situation. You know, I felt the baby mm-hmm. constantly and where Chris would go to work. And I'm sure that he was, maybe he broke down at work. I don't know. Cause he was always the rock to me when he came home, you know? And so, um, anyway, we just really looked, you know, our together, just went mm-hmm. through this together and really just looked to God for the answer, really stood and believed God for healing. And no matter, you know, you had good days and bad days. And when that time I probably had a lot more bad days than good days, but, um, but, you know, Chris was my rock and he helped me get through it. And so, yeah, we, and we, you know, we, so if we, we fast uh, forward a little bit yeah. to the, to just, you know, so you've got this information, you're four months in and you're like, well, we're going to fight. So what's, what's fight mean from there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, how did you get, you know, what, what was the next step and, and what were the next five months like? Yeah. So the next, the next step for what us was, you know, um, kind of like a simplistic thing, you know, in, in Romans 10, you know, it says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we, we just t- stood on some scriptures, mm-hmm. man. And we, um, got a book on healing. I yeah, was reading that. She's reading a book on, you know, about, you know, God and healing and, and, um, and so we, we would just stick scriptures up on like the refrigerator on the mirror in our bathroom. So we just kind of, they were always in front of us and we were always, you know, say so they're, they were just constantly before our eyes and we were constantly mm-hmm. repeating them, just encouraging ourselves, you know, um, it, there, there's a lot to be said when, you know, King David and with Ziklag and, you know, about, in, he, it says he strengthened himself in the mm-hmm. Lord. And we had to strengthen. Mm. I mean, we were trying to strengthen each other, but you can't strengthen somebody if you don't have any strength. You know what I mean? I remember reading this book and it was on healing and I was like, okay, God, I mean, I'm just literally talking to God. I'm like, you healed people in the Bible. You're going to heal my baby now. Like, I mean, we just, I mean, we had so much faith and just really just stood and believed God. And it wasn't that we were denying that that was a mountain, but we were saying to that mountain to be removed and cast into the sea. So we knew the spina bifida was there, but we were believing God for miraculous healing on our baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so cool because people would call us to encourage us. And it ended up that they would say, hey, you guys, we called to encourage you, but you just encouraged us. So we would like pour ourselves into that situation and and other people's situations and pray for them and their situations because we knew that God was taking care of us at the same time. Yeah. I, I think that's a key. So what was... Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yep. Yeah. No, go ahead, Corey. I'll finish up with, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to kind of wondering what was the next point where there was some, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, obviously you end up delivering Sarah, but was there something in between that four month yeah. period? Oh, yeah, and, there was a, it was you know, a lot. Yeah, well, the, I think the one of the, yeah. the coolest And I know there's us, a lot to the story. Yeah, but. I mean, I came home from work one day and Elaine said, you know, I feel like we're supposed to go see um, this guy named R.W. Shambach, which was kind of funny because a guy I worked with at the time, you know, one of the guys, one of the guys led me to the Lord. He uh, he would listen to him on the job site. I was in drywall business at that time before insurance. And uh, um, and so he was an evangelist, you know, around the country. And so we literally I never heard of him. Yeah, she never heard of him. So she (laughs) so. And I tell people, you know, I'll tell, we didn't send money to him. The guy didn't know. We didn't well, know him from t- then to moon. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, I, I really felt like God was telling me, um, and 
to go see R.W. Schambach. And I had never heard of him. I mean, which was really, I mean, that's really crazy. But um, so anyway, I wrote a letter to him and I um, explained everything about what the doctor said. And I said in that letter, I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't really know you. I've never heard of you. I haven't given you money or anything like that. But I just really felt like God was telling me to come and see you. Um, so anyway, I get ready to go mail the letter and I call their, um, I call the prayer line and they said, Oh honey, he's, you know, he gets thousands and thousands of letters a day and they have a prayer team that reads the letters. He won't see it. I said, that's fine. Just give me, you know, give me the address. And so I just prayed over that letter and I sent it out. And so Chris came Mm. home and I told him, I said, um, I really feel like we're supposed to go see R.W. Shambach. And it was um, in Chicago, Illinois. He goes, OK, let's go. And I'm like, really? He said, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. So, um, so anyway, Chris's boss and his wife loved um, R.W. Shambach. So we went with them to Chicago. And um, so anyway, we got there a little early and there was like four rows that were reserved for pastors because he had pastored in that area before. So we took the next row and then we're sitting there. And before it started, um, he was walking around up there and, and Chris, Dave DeGear, who was a dear friend of ours who drove us, he said, um, Hey, you guys go say hi to him. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to go up there. And what did he say, Chris? He, <laughs> he, goes, goes, I, he goes, I just drove you 250 miles. You can walk 50 feet and go say something. <laughs> We're like, Oh, oh okay. <laughs> something you would say so, to me, Corey. Right? <laughs> and I would say to you. Like so, this guy, so <laughs> is a, I mean, he's huge. He's such a tall guy. And so Chris and I go over there and I stick my hand out and I said, hi, I go, I'm Elaine Whitney. And he grabs my hand and pulls me to him. And he said, you're the one that wrote the letter. And I said, you got the letter? And he's, and he put his hand no on his way. chest and he said, not only do I have it, I brought it. He goes, you expect great things to happen tonight because God's going to heal your baby. And oh my gosh, Corey, I was just like crying. I couldn't even believe it. Cause right. First of all, I know this sounds so crazy, but I was like, oh my gosh, I heard from God. <laughs> like I can hear from God too. And, um, so anyway, right. Chris and I, um, we went and sat down. I think we sat. We were like floating, yeah, I think, at the yeah. time. But um, anyway, so he he preached this message of um, of when he was um, an intern, basically, with A.A. A. Allen. And he said that um, he preached a, a message that of the greatest miracle he had ever seen was this baby getting healed of 26 diseases. And he starts explaining all of them, you know, about this baby was blind and mute in any way. So um, he, it was an incredible story. So after he preached, he... Um, he called us up and he goes, Hey, he goes, there's a couple here from St. Louis. And he said, I want you to come up. And he starts explaining everything in the letter about their baby at Spina Bifida and, you know, all of this stuff. And so, um, so anyway, we come up there and he, um, I thought this was really interesting. He, um, had all those pastors that were there on the four rows. He said, I want you all to surround them. And he goes, and I want everybody in the audience to hold hands. He goes, but first you ask that person if they believe in miracles because if not, he goes, don't hold their hands. He goes, because, because God is going to perform a miracle tonight. And so he literally mm. laid hands right on my stomach. He prayed over me. He prayed over Chris. And it was really powerful and incredible. So um, so anyway, that to me helped us through those next five months. Yeah, um, it deal. really helped us. Wow. Um, that was in September. Just, it was like right yeah, in the middle. Yeah, it was right yeah. September. And, um, and she was due January 1st, but we um, ended up having a C-section. But anyway, so we had to go back in the ninth month and um, get an ultrasound. So we go back to that same doctor and um, he does the ultrasound and he's just kind of like, well, the defect's still there. And I was just, I remember being so disappointed that it was there because I was believing God it was gone, you know. And, um, but he's acting so weird. And he said, um, I have no idea. He goes, I, I, well, I can't tell you how much paralysis. And he was just acting really bizarre. 
And so um, anyway, later that night, our um, OB calls us and he goes, hey, did you hear the great news? And we're like, what great news? Like, what do you mean? And um, he said, so I forgot to say this, but at the very beginning, um, the baby had um, water on the brain so much. They call it like a waterhead. It was so much mm-hmm. water on the brain that um, at the beginning, well, then when we had the second ultrasound, the doctor told me that our OB said that um, that water was almost gone completely. And it freaked the doctor out so much because that's medically impossible. <laughs> and so he was so dumbfounded that he didn't even know what to say. And um, so anyway, so we scheduled her C-section and uh, for two weeks early. So we had her on uh, December 21st of 1990 and um, went in for the delivery and um, had the C-section. And all of a sudden there was, you know, all these doctors in there, neonatal, ready to take her away and everything, you know. And so as soon as we delivered her, they start. That's the not Dr. an easy Branson. thing to think about as a mom, is no, it? Mm-hmm. It yeah. was hard. It was Taking very difficult. That, that room, it wasn't that room was packed, she, she though. I mean, I'll never forget good. that. But no, I was from the mm, waist yeah. down. But anyway, um, so Dr. Branson starts, he goes, it's a girl. He goes, and she's kicking her feet and she's moving her legs. And I mean, everybody in there just started crying cause everybody knew what, what they thought, you know, was going to come out to be. And, um, and she did have the mm. defect on her back. And, um, and so she had to go into surgery the very next day, um, a long surgery to take the sack off of her back and put all the nerve endings. But what was so cool was, um, you know, in the, in the, ultrasound when we saw the sack and he pointed out all those vertebras that God put every vertebra back in place. And it was just spinal fluid and nerve endings wow. in that sack. Mm. So with spina so bifida, she comes, clearly was not paralyzed. No, no for sure. No. She's 30 years old now and walks and everything, but, um, it was just awesome. She's with spina bifida. Other things, um, happen. Like she had a bunch of different things like a cleft palate and different stuff, but so she's mm-hmm. had 17 surgeries, um, all of her life. And now she's 30 years old and she has her own place and she walks and runs whatever she wants to do. So we're very, very grateful. God has been so, um, so faithful and so good to us. Yeah. A couple of things out of there, Corey, that I think are important for anybody that's listening is that, you know, we had a couple of moments that were really hard, but then we also had a couple of really cool breakthroughs kind of of encouragement, you know, like when, when, you know, Elaine wrote the letter and he said, you know, you wrote the letter. That was such a big moment for her. And when, um, you know, th- those breakthroughs are like when, when we get the call after, you know, we go in and get an ultrasound and the defect's still there and you're believing it's not. Mm-hmm. And but we get a call saying, hey, there's no more hydrocephalus, no more water on the brain. That's medically impossible. You know, God always throws these little nuggets out yeah. there when you just most need them, I believe, to, so to keep true. you encouraged to fight Amen. and press through, right. you know, to the other side. It's so true. And I think that's what um, I just want to encourage anybody that's going through something, you know, that um, to not give up, to keep pushing through to the other side, because there's something on the other side that you don't know about, you know, and, and mm. it's not always been peaches and keen, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like 17 surgeries, man. I mean, we were right. believing for none. You know, and I mean, and, and we're not disappointed no, because it's just the journey <clears throat> and um, and it didn't always go the way we I mean, she had another surgery she was supposed to have. And three nights before the surgery, Elaine woke up in the middle of the night. And God said, you know, you need to get your daughter scanned. You need to get your daughter scanned. And she calls the hospital St. John's Mercy. You know it well. And um, 
the surgeon that was doing was the chief of surgery at St. John's. And, um, and she said, yeah, she said, you want to get a scan? And he said, well, Mrs. Whitney, that's fine if it makes you feel better. And so we did. And the, the, the lady that did the scan comes out and she goes, you must not believe anything we, we say because your daughter's fine. The top, top part of of her kidneys that weren't functioning since birth or functioning properly. She didn't need the surgery. (laughs) Yeah. She didn't need this. So we had, so we saw a couple miracles in the 17 mm. surgeries. Does that make sense? You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a journey, man. It's, it's, um, it's a, but, but it's, it's, um, it was a challenge at times mm-hmm. it's, and it has been for, you know, at different times. And there's so many more stories about Sarah that were miraculous, you know, that she was going to have to wear splints all of her life. Mm-hmm. And, and she kept being able to walk mm-hmm. on her own without splints. And they, they say that would never happen. And she doesn't wear splints. She hasn't worn splints since she was. Gosh, since she was what? Three, four, three, five, three or four. Five. Yeah. She didn't walk till she was three. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it, it's been a process, you know, and, but we never ever through the process ever doubted God or blamed God or, right. you know, that just wasn't part of our deal. It wasn't part of who we were, or our DNA. It's just part of, um, but the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from so above. above. So, yeah, you know, and there's going to yeah. be challenges. It in is. Life, I mean, you know? less life. Life is challenging. But, you know, you just I think one thing that I remember so much and, and through so much of our life, because so much happened, you guys, through that whole situation of Sarah when she was born. You know, no, not a lot of people know, but, you know, Chris, there was no work. It was an ice storm. So he lost his job and we lost everything we had. We went bankrupt. And it's pretty interesting to think about, um, you know, at that time, it was so hard. And I'm sitting in the line for food. And now here we have a food ministry, which is crazy mm. because I think we can tell people for real that it's a season. You know, you're going through things, but it's not going to be like that forever. It's just a season. And um, and I mean, we're a huge testament to that, um, that it is a season. Everybody goes through seasons, you know, well, of their life. Yeah. But yeah. And I think back when we well, started this, you know, you talked about insurance, you know, and um, our insurance yeah was basically half my income back mm-hmm. just back then, you know, when we had Sarah 30 years ago right. and um, it was so um, expensive. It was just, it was so expensive, you know, to have coverage and, but you had to have it. You know what I mean? It was like, there wasn't yeah. any options, you know, thank God we had and, that. Um, well, we have, you know, we have a way of how we think things should go. And I, and right now just speaking to the whole, idea of when we pray and yeah. uh, when we're believing God for something or we feel like we're really standing in faith for something. And we certainly have this way. And but God says, you know, my ways aren't your ways, you know, and, and yes. the way I do things isn't like the way you would do things. And, the, the you know, God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and on and on. Right. And and mm-hmm. so there is some very sound wisdom and knowing, you know, just because the answer isn't the way we want the answer to be, doesn't mean God isn't at work and isn't moving. And I know there's a whole lot more to Sarah's story and we only have so much time, but Mm -hmm. I I, I really believe it's going to encourage some people out there. And I think at one point you were working on a book. Is that still something you talk about or something that's come to fruition? We were working on it. We just haven't haven't really finished it. And uh, we need to. We need to probably pick that back up and finish it. Yeah, we really do. Because it it kind of. so much into that story. Yeah, it was it was it's a book written from both of our perspectives, what we were dealing with and how we were dealing with the thing at the same time Mm. We is a hope for couples that are going through something that's really. Difficult. hard on a marriage, you know, how you can not, 
it can hopefully hopefully help you not to judge the other because mm-hmm. of how they're reacting because they're made differently. You know, we're guys, right. we're wired differently than women. I mean, I know that's basic simplicity, but I think we forget that in the midst of the battle sometimes. So you know, that true. They're going to react maybe a little differently than we do. And I just remember, you know, in those times and some of those days, I mean, all I could do is cry. And when you cry, I just felt like I was not in faith. And that's so not the truth, you know, and then all of a sudden God would give Chris this vision of, um, of why he gave us tear ducts. It was to relieve pressure, you know, and then you just get right back and you just believe God and stand, you know, and keep standing. You don't sit down and and have, keep having a pity party, which we could have, but we didn't, you know, we just thought, okay, I just needed to release it with tears. Okay. Now I'm good. You know, get back up and stand and believe God. And, um, so there's so many things to that story. And, um, so we do need to write the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. certainly one of the things that that I admire about both of you is is your willingness to to stand in faith and you know our stories are not uh they they don't define us. I think how we respond to these challenges in our life certainly does uh illustrate what I, what it, where is our faith and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean there aren't ebbs and flows to it and it was was it now is it 15 16 years ago? where you felt like it was time to to leave St. Louis and move to Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, you mentioned the food distribution program. You guys founded an organization called One Gen Away. Uh, let, let's get into that a little bit as we um, kind of transition. I, I hope that that book happens, and I, I hope that there's mm-hmm. some listeners that – that want to hear more of the story because there's only so much. I think we could do three hours on that story (laughs) and it might not even be enough time. And it would, it would be fun to do that. Um, It would be impactful. I should say, I don't know how fun it is, but it would really be impactful for for listeners to hear that. But, but so moving to Franklin. um, Yeah. Yeah. And how we moved 16 years ago. So 16 years ago, you started a church, I think initially, well, I don't know if that's exactly it's day one, but uh, eventually that transitioned into some, f- mm-hmm. you know, flood relief. And uh, mm-hmm. tell us about One Gen Away and yeah. how that came to be and what it yeah. is. So we, uh, you know, we moved here 16 years ago to Franklin, Tennessee, a little over 16 and a half years ago. And we actually <laughs> had the first vision. And you were one of the very few people that knew we were even thinking about it. I mean, there was, I think, six people on planet Earth that even knew our kids didn't know. <laughs> and um, we had actually been, it's actually started 23 years ago when we had yeah. the idea. And then Sarah had to have some other surgeries, a whole other well, story. Like that. We just kept praying and believing yeah. God and coming and walking the land walking here. The land yeah. and praying Our and kids didn't home. even know. They yeah. didn't have a clue at the time. And so, um, <clears throat> so we started the church and then I was praying one day and God dropped this phrase in my heart one generation away. And uh, I had no idea what to do with it. And uh, so I just reserved a domain name. And, uh, that's what I did. I reserved a domain name and started to pray about it. And, uh, remembered a story about our oldest daughter, Lauren, who was, uh, you know, years before, like seven years before been watching a special on Dr. King. And, um, she looked up crying and said, dad, why are they spraying the Brown people? And I kind of had this, you know, this, um, backwards vision of this thing, you know, of, of flashback lost the word there, the flashback, but like God said, we're a generation away from eliminating racism. I know that's a hot subject in today's world, but I believe our kids don't see color as a barrier. You know, they just see it for what it is. It's just a different color. And, uh, and so that that's where it started. And we started, um, Elaine was, went to work outside the home for the first time in like 16 years, I guess, when we came here and she worked at a place called Mid Cumberland Community Action Agency. And this guy would deliver bread. Well, he was from a large food bank here in middle Tennessee. And he said, you know, we could uh, 
we could bring a 53 foot trailer full of food to a parking lot. And she goes, well, I'll tell my husband. And I was working with a volunteer with another church called La Casa de Mi Padre in here in Franklin. And, and they would do a Cinco de Mayo festival and they would do, they would provide clothing for the poor and food and things like that. So I was on the food committee and told them the idea. We bought mm-hmm. our first truck and that's where it kind of happened, man. We started, um, a year agency. Yeah, a year goes. We, we <clears throat> became an agency so we could get more food for to do Cinco de Mayo through our church. And we um year goes by and we're in downtown Franklin and I have a St. Louis cell phone number, as you well know, I still do today because I was still running my insurance business back then. And uh um I got a phone call. I told her, Lane, we need to call Second Harvest, get a truckload of food. And my phone rings and it was them calling me with a free truckload of food. And, you know, wow. as we look as yeah, as we look back, we're going, wow, you know, yeah. and then one, rescuing of the, one, of, one of the cool things about Mid-Cumberland is they would do commodities four times a year. So these government agencies around the country that help the elderly winterize their homes and things like that. They also do commodities, food commodities four times a year. So we volunteered to do that as a church and uh, we would sort food and bag it. And then we would walk people out to their cars because most of them were elderly and on canes and we would load their cars with the food. And um, I, and I thought, well, I'm on public property. I can ask them, is there anything I can pray with you about today? So I would do that, not knowing that God was creating a model that we're using today before I even knew the model would mm-hmm. exist. You know, it's interesting how God will do that to you. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll put things in you that you have no idea what for. And then one day it comes to you go, Oh, that's why he did that. You know? And, All right. Uh, um, so that's what we did, man. We started with, um, with that and, and, um, giving food in our car and, and, well, as we, as we, so to keep going with one generation away or eliminating racism, the next thing was we only had 20 people in our church and you get, you know, 20,000 pounds of food, all different stuff that's got to be bagged. You need some extra help, you know? So um, I would say I, so. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I called some pastor friends and say, Hey, would you mind sending, would you think about announcing it to your church? We get some volunteers. And so some other churches started volunteering and I started noticing in our parking lot that there's all these different churches in our parking lot and, and we're all just laughing and bagging food and praying for people, you know? And so it was like a general generation away, generation away from eliminating racism and then do not what I call denominationalism, not eliminating denominations, but where we're not being separated by the name on the outside of our church building. Coming together right. and to come together and serve. Yeah. And then Miss Rena happened and Miss Rena, I met her doing doing commodities. She would sign people in. She was an African American woman I knew. She was she was really pretty. She was probably 70s. 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Just really always dressed to the nines, just always together, really sweet. And she's in our food line one day and uh she said, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Chris, thank you for this food. And I said, oh, Miss Rena, you're welcome. And she goes, no, no, really, thank you. I go, Miss Rena, no, this is just what we do. And she goes, you just don't understand. She goes, now I can buy my medicine. And man, mm. Corey, when she said that, it was the first time I've heard it probably hundreds of times now, yeah. but you could have mm. just pushed me over. I think I'm in the seventh wealthiest county in the United States of America. And here's a woman making a decision between food and medicine. And I was like, Wow. You know, right. what is going on? I had no idea this was going on. And uh, so that was popular. that's that's kind of how it all started, man. And we um, we started doing mobile food pantries. And then we uh, got a call from another food ministry here about a Whole Foods wanting uh, somebody to rescue food from them. And um, he goes, that's just not what we do. And he goes, but I thought you'd do it. I go, yeah, I'd do it. And we took our. Chris never says no. <laughs> we took <laughs> our, Hyundai, our Hyundai Santa Fe up SUV and started loading food from Whole Foods. And back of our car. We drive it into a low income <laughs> neighborhood and give the food away, you know. Open up our trunk and just let them let shop for free. Yeah. So that's give it all away. That's how it all started, man. And we just started with a vision and a dream. And um, I kind of how many pounds of food did you uh, did you give away in 
million pounds of food. About 4.2 million meals yeah. in three states. And That's uh, 4.2 million me- me- meals, excuse me. Yeah, yes. 4.2 wow. million That's... meals. Yeah. And um, how many states did you say? Three states. Three states. Yeah. Three states. And, uh, you know, it was because that's when I had the vision and, uh, you know, you were so instrumental in so much of my life because of you being a visionary and like, you know, Elaine and Summer don't allow us in a room together by ourselves too long because we'll probably dream of something <laughs> that. That's like, the truth. You, doing? Yeah. you know, and uh, got to keep tabs true. on you guys. But just that I hmm. dreamed of, you know, feeding a million people around the country in a day on a Saturday and a million people being prayed with face to face by the local church. And uh, because what happens is um, at the beginning before COVID um, people would walk, you know, they'd stand in line and uh, we would walk with them with each person down a line with a shopping in cart. the shopping cart. And, and we, cause we bagged all this food and then there's other people putting bags of, of food in the carts and you talk with them and walk with them and you take them to their car and load their groceries. And then you ask them, is there anything we can pray with you about today? And that's where it all happens. And, um, Mm. and now during COVID, we still try to do that. We have, um, you know, they drive their cars through and they have to open up their trunks, but we have um, different, you know, churches and stuff to help us. And so many volunteers that will have prayer teams that goes through the lines while they're waiting and pray with each car. Um, Cause that's really what it's all about. It's all about the prayer for us. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've had the good fortune of, of being a part of several of your food distributions. And I know for you, there've been hundreds and even uh, my daughter has recently gotten uh-huh. to be a yeah. part of one. And it's, it's awesome stuff. I think um, I, I remember the first one cause I, I you know, I, you'd been telling me about it when we were in St. Louis still and uh, you guys were in Franklin and eventually was able to get down to be a part of one and that the impact um, on the volunteer I think is even Mm -hmm. as great if not greater than Mm -hmm. the recipient of the food and once you engage and you decide to really engage I'll say and talk talking about myself here and and walking to the parking lot with somebody pushing their groceries for them. I mean, even that little act, because I don't think the people there are used to getting served and Mm -hmm. um, they're maybe used to serving. And so Mm -hmm. the, the opportunity to serve and handle their groceries for them and put them in their car and just say, what, what can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray? And I don't, I in the times that I was a part, no one ever said, no, there's nothing you can pray for me. So I right. would imagine that doesn't happen very often. Not very no, often. Ninety nine percent of the people. Yeah. And maybe I mean, maybe literally. three has happened in 10 years yeah, for me. I mean, That's most, about it. Most most people say yes there because there's always something going on right in life, man. We need something. Yeah. Well, it, there is there's no reason people should be hungry in our world. There's so That's much great. food. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love what One Gen is doing, and I love how it's bringing your communities together. You, you mentioned, you know, ending denominationalism, and one of the things that I know Ash gets Alliance for Shared Health gets pushed back on is a part of its uh, statement of belief says that we're not denominationally based, and so you know, state regulators mm-hmm. push back and act like that that's a bad thing, and somehow that that. That that um, reduces the likelihood of the faith element to what Ash does. I said, no, mm-hmm. this this is about the the churches coming together. This is about yeah. people coming together and realizing there there is a bigger aspect mm-hmm. to all of this than just am I in the right denomination? 
No. Yeah. yeah. We are the capital C church. Yeah. Help each other. That's right. You know, and so that that's certainly what I think is one of the things that I love about what One Gen does. And it doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is, what your race is, what your religion is. Let's just meet needs, right? Yeah. And you know what's so yeah. great, no, Corey, exactly. I think, is, you know, so many times people are like, where, what's your name? Where do you live? How much do you make? We don't ask any questions. If people are in that line, they're going to get food. Um, and, and that's what I love about it because people, you know, you don't have to prove anything. You know, you just are there and you're hungry and you're going to get food. So that's so um, I think it's huge for people too to know that they can get food without having any regulations or any questions asked. Yeah, when I when mm. I think of Jesus, you know, one of our board members, when I think of Jesus, you know, it's like he never asked people to prove anything or do anything. You know what I mean? He just totally, it, you know, it was um, one of our board members said it this way. She goes, it's like we ask people to prove they're sufficiently deficient to need help. And I thought that is just the antithesis of the gospel. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like you humiliate people so that they can get help. And it's like, man, we that's what part of the problem is, right? We've 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 taken people, we've stripped them of their identity. And, and it's like it's hard to have dignity when you don't have identity. Well, it's not hard. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, you can't yeah. have dignity without identity. And like you said, I, I love what you said about us serving them. I believe that's, um, you know, so we have a, we have some of our recipients, our friends that receive is what we say. We uh, we have some of our friends that receive that would will ask us, can I volunteer? And I always say yes, because I believe that's the first step out of the cycle is to be valuable yeah. to someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can mm -hmm. be used to help someone else, even though I'm receiving help, I can still help someone else. And mm -hmm. I think that changes your perspective of who you are, that I have something to offer to someone else that that has a need. And I think that changes how you see yourself. And it just it sets things in motion, sets you up for success and sets some things into motion, you know, and I, I um, and I love that. And and that's one of the things I love about Ash, what you said is um, I always talk about, you know, you and I or people listening to this go to a church but we're all part of the church. And right. like you said, the big C and, and it's, um, you know, they'll know us by our love one for another. So mm -hmm. it's like, if we can't figure out how to get along as the church, how can we figure every, how, how do we expect everybody else to get along? You know what I mean? So it's, it's, um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's one of the things that, that makes me proud to serve mm -hmm. on the board of Ash is, is, is that we're getting to reach people across. We're getting, we're, we have the ability of helping people across all kinds of denominations and things like that. We're just able to help people that have a need. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all know that medical is it can be such a drain, yeah. not just financially, but emotionally, mm -hmm. physically on people. And uh, I think what was incredible for us, I mean, because, you know, we've been with Alliance for Shared Health for three or four years now. And I mean, I wish we would have had it way back then with Sarah, because it's like a fraction of the we were paying, you know, even yeah. even four years ago, you know, uh, seven years ago when Chris had cancer. I mean, you know, our um, deductibles were eight thousand dollars <laughs> a piece. Me. And um, and it was just very difficult and it was so expensive. And then once we, you know, um, joined Alliance for Shared Health and it was just incredible. I mean, the cost is just a fraction of the cost of what we were paying. So, yeah. And with, um, and with Ash being yeah. able to share expenses, you know, I think it's just something it's, they're just so important. You know what is. I mean? And, and, and not only that, but how how we're we're able to give, you know, to give give some of that money out to help others yeah. in Ethiopia and things like that and what in in the in just the amazing impact we're having mm -hmm. on a nation and in, in a group of people and um so I, I I that's what that's what excites me 
is that we're all in this together mm-hmm. and we can all we all have our part to play and uh, no parts less significant than the. I know we've always heard that said, but it gosh, it is so true. That no well, and you wrote a book. You wrote a book called uh, "The Dirty Church," right? Mm-hmm. And that that book to me is uh, a sort of a model of what Alliance for Shared Health is all about. So, because it is about, uh, if I have can paraphrase or. Uh, give the real cliff note version of what I think the dirty church is about. It's about the church uh, in motion outside the four walls, serving, making a difference in people's physical needs, not just going telling people you need to have a relationship in God. No, you know, how can I worry about a relationship with God when I can't even, you know, put food to my face and and feed my family? And it's pretty hard to get past that. And so I love that aspect of the concept of this of the dirty church, and I think for Alliance for Shared Health members, it's that same mentality of this is the church in motion. This is yes. let's yes. all make a difference in people's lives. And I think one of the things you correct me if this is not how you see it, but I think you you hit on this before when we've talked is you might have people come through that line that food distribution line who don't have any need of the food you're about to hand out. Mm -hmm. They might be gaming the system, so to speak. And now I'm not saying that happens on a regular basis, but that's not for you and I decide. Our, our job is to say, God, what do you, how do you want me to, how do you want to use me and, and have that attitude in that heart of a, of a giver. And then, the, everything else was sort of, that's not our job, is it? I mean, am I, I you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And because it's, this is just food, man. It's a commodity. We get lots of it. People give it to us all. I mean, we get so much food donated to it instead of being thrown away. And, um, and, and, and I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I'd say less, way less than 1%, but definitely less than 1% of the people are scamming us. And you know what? I mean, even if they do, that's between them and God. That's not like we're, we have to be obedient to what God's yeah. telling us to do. And that's to feed people or to serve people. And whatever they do with that, to me, that's between them and God. Well, um, yeah. And I, I think to add what Elaine said, you know, Corey, and what you were saying and, and add on what Elaine said is that we, we tend to judge people by appearance. And so you mm. think somebody's doing really well. I mean, I, I got a crazy story, man. I, That's I'm, what I was going to ask yeah, you to tell that my, story. My board chair at the time was pushing a cart with this big guy. He's just a, like a big dude. And um, it's a Cadillac Escalade, the car. And my board chair is like, really? Really? So he asked the guy, hey, man, you know, he said, but I didn't say anything. He goes, you know, but I inside I was like judging. And, and he goes, so I said, sure. man, is there anything I can pray with you about? And the guy just started to break down and he goes, yeah, man, um, my boss bought me this car and he was murdered. And uh, now <sighs> I live in that car. He was his bodyguard. Wow. Yeah. And now he lives in the car. Wow. So, you know, you never judge. Like we tell all of our volunteers, <laughs> like, you know, just people might drive better cars than you, but you know what? That might be their house. They might be living in that car. So, you, you know, right. you just don't judge because you have no idea what their story is. And, and, and for people listening, as you and I talk about this, and um, I, I believe there are situations where you maybe have to do deeper vetting. We're dealing with food. I'm not right. I'm not giving people cash or money to pay a utility or, you know, whatever. I mean, so I understand in circumstances, I just don't want somebody out there to feel like if you're vetting someone, you're not being Christian. I'm not I'm not saying that at all. And I don't want anybody to feel that right. way. But I think, like you said, that's, you know, why they got in that situation. If I can help them not to be in that situation, great, mm-hmm. but it's not my job to judge why they got there or, or how to, you know, that kind of thing. My job is if, if, 
if I've got the ability to do good, it's my responsibility to do good. You know what I mean? So that's that's sure. my paraphrase in the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. so it's I've got the resources to do it. It's food. I'm going to give it to them. And, and like you said, <sighs> most people aren't aren't really trying. You know, we hear the stories. I mean, I know, but you know, of of that one story you hear about somebody scamming the government for something, how many millions of people didn't? Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, they're just people, man, and they're. Um, and they really, most people I've ran into in our food lines are just really genuine, sweet people that just have some really difficult circumstances. Well, I got into an interesting, you know, you get into these social media things where, I don't know if it was Instagram or Facebook or whatever, where somebody had posted, somebody I didn't know had posted that they, uh, you know, really cared about human trafficking relief. And it was a big deal to them. And I said, you know, Pat Bradley real well, of course, and he's our mm-hmm. connection to Ethiopia yep. and the Bible Army International Church. And I said, well, check this. And I just, you know, gave a link to the to their site and said, well, you check out this organization. They're awesome. And I love what they do. And then somebody else I didn't know got on and said, you know, quit giving your money to sending our money to the World Health Organization and to China. And you're, you know, you're just wasting our money. And I'm like, oh, man. And so I'm like, you don't know crisis aid. You don't know Pat Bradley. And I mean, Chris, you were there with me uh, a year ago, basically Mm -hmm. a year ago, almost Mm -hmm. right now, right before COVID. And we know that that money is going directly to to impact those folks. And uh, to end that story, it's just like, it's still not my job to if if I feel led to that that's where I'm supposed to give and that's where you feel like God's directing you at the end of the day uh, it's not my I shouldn't hold on to my money because I don't think God knows what he's doing when he tells me that's where you should give but all that to say kind of transitioning to ash and Ethiopia and you know the the idea of ending denominationalism and racism and maybe just as we get close to closing here talking about that the impact of the trip um and the visit yeah uh to to ethiopia and how much it meant to you as a board member of ash i mean it was it was life-changing for well first of all because i've known pat for 20 something years you know more before i knew you i knew pat you know Mm -hmm. and so uh probably 30 years um and been in bible studies with him and so i I've never got the experience of being able to go over with him or to be with him when he was over there. And uh, it's just funny, man, how, you know, you and Pat met and then uh, then how I get then how you bring me back to Pat, which is really cool. You know, so I love that. And uh, um, I just think that's just a funny way how God works things, you know, but it was just so impactful. The the efficiency, the care, the um, thoughtfulness of how they uh, rescue these girls, how they feed the, the, the young children that are starving, literally starving. Um, hunger there is different than hunger is here, but hunger is hunger. Hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I was just so impressed with how well it's run, how organized it is, how caring it is, how fiduciarily responsible they are. Everything about it just it was it was just life changing experience for me, and uh, you know to be able to talk to another nonprofit leader uh, like Pat, who's been such a great example for me over the years, uh, it, it was just really rewarding, you know. And um, yeah, I, I can't, I just can't explain and articulate how grateful people ought to be that they get to be a part of what's happening over there, and and the and to meet the girls, man, that their lives have just been completely transformed, where they were just literally they were they were a commodity. They are literally a commodity that's being stripped of everything that's human and how they've been restored to beautiful young women that are 
that are vibrant, that are impactful, that that are running their own businesses. They've graduated from school. I mean, their whole lives have been changed and turned around and they get to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I think is just even is obviously something that we can't even do in our physical strength. Right. But we get to at least Pat's at least got to lead them to that place where they can experience it for themselves. And I think uh, I know it's hard to put into words. I hope I articulated it well enough, but it's it's uh, it's just, man, what a what a what an impactful experience to see all of that. Well, obviously, you're on the board. I'm an advisory board member to Ash, and I am privy to some of the challenges that Mike Hinchis and their team face with from state regulators when they try and say that, you know, uh, BAIC hasn't been sharing in healthcare needs since pre-1999. Like, oh my gosh, you have... The answer is, why don't you go over there and see? It's it's healthcare sharing in its purest form. Yes. And yeah. uh, the, the pediatric hospital that ASH members help fund. And the, the beauty of it, it's $1 per household. So it's a very, very small portion, but it exponentially impacts over there because the, the dollar, the exchange rate is 33 to 1. And the impact is just, it is life-changing. And so the vast majority of dollars stay here to share in medical needs here. But that $1 just is so impactful and it's so pure um, to, to what's happening. And obviously you and I got to see it firsthand. Yeah. When you talk about stewardship, which really is what money's all about, right? I mean, anything we have, it's just stewarding it. It's God's. We're just fortunate enough to get to, you know, steward it somewhere. But but look at the leverage of a dollar over in Ethiopia compared to what it is here. You know, the level of impact over there. I mean, just all the things, I mean, like they're, they have cows and their milk and they're making yogurt and they're open a store. And I'm like, my gosh, man, this is entrepreneurs are being created. People are flowing in gifts they never even knew they had all because that $1 was donated. Mm. How amazing is that, you know, for The power of a dollar and the power of impact is so exponentially larger over there. It's it's uh, it's amazing, man. It's just incredible the difference people are making. And they can't waste anything. They don't they don't waste and they find a way to put everything to use because, you know, access to resources isn't. There's a scarcity to it. And so you have to. It's just impressive how the uh, how much detail and much attention is paid to every aspect to make sure that there is an uh, there is at least I don't know if abundance is the right word but there's enough for all the work and somehow God continues to supply and Pat's so instrumental in that and yeah. and you all as you as, a, as part of the board uh, it's so great we have you know several board members of Ash who run nonprofits and so you can relate to how um how important it is to uh, use the resources wisely and yeah. to treat uh, the organization with with a great amount of care so that members and the ministry is working in a way that uh, is beneficial t- and to all those who are connected to it. Yes, definitely, definitely. 100% agree with that. It's, it's uh, thank you for the vision, man. You, you know, you dreamed of yeah, Shaw, absolutely. you know, Shared Health Alliance, which birthed Ash. And um, so, you know, I'm grateful for your heart and your vision for people, man. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be called your friend, and, mm-hmm. and you've had such a great impact on our life and our ministry. And so we're okay. we're forever Continue grateful to. for that. Yeah, and we're forever grateful for that. Well, I can. I it's kind of you to say those things. Uh, I I can't. You know, I can't take a lot of credit for that. I I mean, you and I both know um, that 
we do our best to feel like we're following God's leading. And as you both hinted at, it's nice sometimes to get confirmation. And some of that confirmation for me has just come in seeing the fruit that's been born out of out of your lives and out of the obedience that you guys walk in. And it is not always easy because there are a lot of obstacles sometimes and there are a lot of objectors. And uh, mm-hmm. y- But we know just like when we went over to Ethiopia and we see the impact, we know we're helping people here. And I don't want what Ash does to stop because I know the, the people over there need what Ash members are doing as much as uh, what what is happening over here. So it kind of fuels you, you know, when you see the people that you walk to the car with and how much that week's worth of groceries means to them, or you see... Yeah. Uh, different racial groups coming together. Um, mm-hmm. And man, man, those things fuel you and remind yeah. you why you do what you do. That's yeah, true. that's why we get up every day, man. It's uh, I, I, I tell people I'm, you know, in a sweet spot of my life right now. I get to get up and do what I love to do every day. And I can't believe that I get to do this. I mean, it's like, what a dream, man. I mean, I, I'm beyond thankful, beyond grateful, humbled beyond belief. Uh, I've met so many incredible yeah. people. My gosh, man, their stories. Oh, people that I I thought I was tough or I thought I I was could endure, man. Oh my gosh, I'm soft compared to what some mm-hmm. of these people have been <laughs> through, you know. And uh, but God, right? We press forward. So and, true. And I think but you know, God. I know we got to get to the end of this. I, I think that uh, as you know, if you're going to do something for God, there's going to be some resistance. <laughs> It just is, man, you know, and, yeah. and that's okay. And I'd encourage anyone listening, don't quit just because there's resistance. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing. you're doing thing. exactly what you're, you're supposed yeah, to do. You are doing exactly <laughs> what you're supposed to do. And uh, um, if everything we did in life was easy, it wouldn't be that much fun anymore, would that's it? Right. I, mean, I mean, I guess it would, but I don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think having resistance is okay. It's, uh, it's just having that courage and tenacity not to back down and to keep pushing forward Mm -hmm. because someone's life depends on it. That's right. And, uh, lives are tied to your obedience. Yep, exactly. Well, you both are a great illustration of that. And, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure grateful, uh, for the impact that you've had in my family's lives. And, and, uh, I'm grateful for the impact you're having, uh, as a board member for Alliance for Shared Health. And, uh, I, I love the time we get to spend together. Uh, I am fortunate because I am surrounded by and get to work with some of, some of my best friends in the world, most meaningful relationships in the world. And, you know, there are people that would tell you don't do that. And I, I don't know why, but I just feel fortunate that mm-hmm. uh, for some reason it, it works in our world. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> we um, hear each other. We we listen to each other. Nobody tells each other what to do. Yeah, that's all made clear. And yeah. we also understand that ultimately it's about helping people. And mm-hmm. um, that, that, that at the end of the day is what this is all about. So Love the time with you both. Um, Me too, Corey. You too, man. Appreciate your friendship immensely. Appreciate you and Summer. Thanks for this opportunity, man. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a great rest of your day. Yeah, have a great weekend. We'll look forward to talking again soon. You yes, too, brother. thank you. Love you guys. Talk Love to you later. You too. See you, buddy. Bye. Well, that story, the story of Chris and Elaine's, um, everything that happened with Chris and Elaine's daughter, with Sarah, and that whole event is just amazing. I wish that we could just do a series on it. I think many people would be so encouraged. Uh, we we really just scratched the surface there. And the Whitney's are people that I, I, I'm just constantly uh, impressed by and encouraged by their faithful witness. And, uh, you know, they just step out 
and they want to help people. And what they're doing with One Gen Away is just so amazing. And it's it's just continued to spread and grow fingers and kind of spread out across the country. And so I, I, I love getting to share their story. And I, I hope a lot of people are encouraged by the things that they're doing. They are truly great friends of mine. And I love that Chris is a huge part of Alliance for Shared Health. And I know that he is around and part of ASH because he believes in what ASH is doing. And so he's a great proponent of it. His wife, Elaine, is what is as well. And so uh, their story is fantastic. Check out One Gen Away uh, online and learn more there. And uh, again, just appreciate you joining. We're going to look forward to doing this again real soon and look forward to spending more time again with you on the next episode of Running Eyes. 